Welcome to Five Dubs by MDDC Press. I'm your host, Rebecca Snyder, the Executive Director of the Maryland, Delaware, and DC Press Association, which represents news media in our region. Five Dubs focuses on the who, what, when, where, and why of local news media. We'll talk with the journalists about the stories behind the news. You can find more information about our guests in the show notes or on our website, www.5-dubs.com. Welcome. We are here today with Emily Opillo and Fern Shen. Emily's with the Baltimore Sun and Fern is with the Baltimore Brew. And we are talking about a recent decision handed down by what I lovingly like to think of as the PIACB, but really it's the Public Information Act Compliance Board. And that mouthful of an organization is able to rule on disputes between requesters and custodians in the state of Maryland on a whole range of issues. Um, these, uh, this board has been around uh, for about five years now and um, recently in July of 2022 gained some expanded powers from the legislature and um, this uh, this case or this issue is one of the newest uh, uh, decisions under under that um, expanded jurisdiction. So welcome to the program, Fern and Emily. Thanks for having us. My pleasure. So let's break it down. There's so much um, uh, that that's going on. This this complaint that you are working with or or the public records that you were trying to get was related to Marilyn Mosby and some donation records. And there's so much going on with Marilyn Mosby. So can you guys sort of take a step back for us and, and explain what you were looking for and what happened? And you both were working independently, but just on the same issue, which is why it came up twice. Right. Well, everybody was interested in getting that other media as well as, you know, as the sun and the brew, um, the, uh, the Mosby's, uh, Marilyn Mosby, then the state's attorney and, um, you know, Nick Mosby, her husband, the city council president. Um, there was a, a legal, uh, there was a, a defense fund set up, an online defense fund to raise money for their uh, legal um, challenges they had at the time. And this was after, um, uh, correct me if I'm wrong on that, Emily, the, but the, uh, the public became aware of a federal investigation into their finances. And so they right. created this, um, this online donor box. It was, you know, $5 if you want to check here, $10 if you want to check here, that kind of thing. Um, fundraising entity and, um, Naturally, the media wanted to know, uh, you know, who was contributing to that, and that was the request that that we made um, to get the uh, the information from the ethics board. And then, <laughs> why don't you take the next chapter, Emily, where it came from the, <laughs> the ethics board uh, released the names, but something or the uh, the list, but something key was missing. Right. Well, and, and like for this fight's been going on for a very long time. Like this fund was created in twenty twenty one. Um, this was back before either um, Marilyn Mosby, uh, before she had been criminally charged. This was back when, as far as we knew, the investigation was looking at both of the Mosbys at that point. 
And, uh, you know, she has since been criminally charged. Um, she faces uh, charged the perjury and making false statements related to some withdrawals from her uh, city retirement account and the purchase of two Florida homes. So obviously, you know, there was a lot of interest in looking at who the donors were to this fund. Um, at the time when it was created, an attorney for Marilyn Mosby said that it would be managed by uh, an uninterested legal trustee. And um, that's still a legally dangerous area in Maryland. The, the state and the city's ethics law um, prohibits elected, elected officials from raising money both directly and indirectly, which would mean someone else was raising money on the couple's behalf. And that's basically what we, were, we saw happening here um, with the fund. Uh, the city's ethics law and the state ethics law also consider donations uh, to the fund to be gifts and law bans gifts from all controlled donors. And that's any people that have business, you know, with that official's agency. So in Nick Mosby's case, it would be the city. In Marilyn Mosby's uh, case, it would have been the state's attorney's office. Um, but also anybody who's regulated by that agency or people who have private interests that can be impacted by that official's performance or duties. So uh, the way that the fund was organized, there was really no way to know if controlled donors were giving, if they were in fact in violation of the law, if they, you know, that was an issue. And so, yeah, like, like, like Fern said, there was a lot of interest in, in making sure that we could figure out who was going to be giving that fund. Cause I mean, both Marilyn and Nick Mosby at that point were both in public office, they hold power and people are going to be looking to curry favor with those people. And normally we would see those donations via campaign donations. Right, right, which are fully disclosed in the state of Maryland and virtually everywhere, because then you can see uh, for transparency's sake, if someone is taking a favorable action for someone that also donated to them. But with a system like the Legal Defense Fund, we, we had no way to see that. So, um, yeah, if you want to. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> Well, it sounds like a direct obfuscation, really. I mean, like, it sounds yeah. like there was, you know, maybe not intent, but certainly waters were muddied um, in right. terms of, of that transparency, which is super customary. You know, you are able in all those campaign mm -hmm. finance reports to see the donors and the amounts. So, mm -hmm. right. And everybody yeah. expects that when you donate to a campaign, you know, you know, people know that that's going to be public. And, and in the case of this legal defense fund, there's no indication nobody has said that the donors presumed that their names would be kept private. So, you know, mm -hmm. this really comes from the city and the ethics board and the law department. Right. So, so the decision so finally came out. Right. So, and, and what, what um, reasoning, so for, for those who may not be, um, really hyper aware of the Public Information Act, when a custodian denies a request, they have to cite some sort of reason. You know, they just can't say, mm -hmm. even though it feels like sometimes they do, you, you're not supposed to say, oh, well, we're just not going to give that to you. So what was the what was the reasoning behind them not providing that information? Do you recall? Well, well they didn't yeah. give a, it wasn't a full denial. They did release the list. They just redacted everything that was useful on the list. And that was the names of the donors and where they live. And they argued that that was financial information, which in the state right. of Maryland. They, they you, cited for, right. the, for the PIA nerds among us, they cited, I had to like pull this up to remind myself, <laughs> section 4-328. That's, um, you know, there are some exceptions to when public bodies have to, you know, provide information under the act. And the one they cited was this one about um, 
disclosure of information about the finances of an individual, including assets, income, liabilities, net worth, bank balance, financial history or activities or credit worthiness. So, you know, um, ultimately when this came before the board, they didn't think it comes under this uh, exception. But the exception, I mean, you know, one would think this is really, you know, your bank balance or your, you know, to have a bad credit rating, you know, that those things are extraneous and shouldn't be, you know, released as part of a PIA request. But this is something, you know, something more akin to, you know, like Emily's saying, and like you're saying, Rebecca, really, it's, it's uh, hardly different than a a campaign contribution. Mm -hmm. But that was that as well. Yeah. It it stuns me because you had in this case, it wasn't just like that this we found out this donor list existed. I mean, we had the ethics board rule against, this is the city ethics board, rule against Nick Mosby and say he was in violation of the city's ethics law with the creation of this account and by fundraising for this account. And that order that they issued him was to stop fundraising, but it was also to produce the list of donors. Right. So mm-hmm. they obviously saw value in disclosing the list of donors at some point uh, that they should be out there so we could tell who the controlled donors were should, so we could see the fundraising activities. And then you also had a judge, a circuit court judge, uphold that ruling whenever Nick Mosby mm-hmm. challenged that in court, also saying, yes, right. this was a violation of the law, enforcing the order of the ethics board to release the list. And then only after that, after this case was closed, after Nick Mosby complied, the Board of Ethics still <laughs> declined to release the list to the public. And that's, it's stunning to me because the, you know, the Board of Ethics made initially a ruling for transparency and now is, is obfuscating the list themselves. Well, what do you think has changed? I mean, as Emily said, the the Board of Ethics um, made, it sounds like, some moves to at least indicate that they thought transparency was important. But... Now, you know, they've, they've sort of gone against that in, in, um, in that denial and subsequent appeal of, of this decision, which we'll get into for a minute. But, um, Fern, do you have a sense it, of like why they've changed? And I, I think it raises a question about how independent this entity really is. Mm. You know, so we've got this ethics board. Uh, do they make these judgments themselves or are they, do they answer to the law office and you know, when it's the law office that's essentially, you know, it's run by a, a mayoral appointee, um, the city solicitor. So are they independent of the mayoral administration or not? Um, you know, they their answer to us was that they, you know, they they take their, um, you know, guidance, quote unquote, from, from the law office. So do we, you know, it, it's just another thing that has, has been an issue that's been raised as a part of this whole controversy this whole issue is you know do we have an independent uh, board of ethics in the city yeah and i'm and emily i'm seeing you nod your head vigorously do you <laughs> what do you what do you think about that well in, in the initial dealings with the board of ethics we were dealing just with the board of ethics yeah but then later on we're now getting statements directly from the solicitor's office on this like you know oh, when it came time to appeal we're now hearing from the solicitor who does represent all of the city's elected officials and then you know it sometimes yeah. feels like the mayor's office is particularly in control of that but nick mosby is the second most powerful person in baltimore and the solicitor's office does represent him and they're also the ones who have sort of taken the reins of this they're the ones filing the challenges and the appeals and from just things that we hear internally there is disagreement within 
the city over this. I'm sure Fern's heard the same that I have that, you know, some people just simply wanted to cough up the list right away within mm -hmm. the ethics realm. And that didn't happen. And then now that we have a, a favorable opinion from the compliance board, some people have thought it should simply be handed over because they lost. And instead, they uh -huh. are challenging this in court. Right, right. I mean, they've got political cover. They got legal cover. You know, if their concern was we, you know, if somebody could say we ignored, you know, that section exception 4-328 and we you know, um, made a, you know, we're personally, you know, are, we're liable for having, you know, misread the act. They got guidance from the compliance board that no, I mean, you know, a state body told them, you know, no, you're not, you know, you didn't need the, that provision didn't need to kick in you. This should be released. They were given kind of legal permission. So yeah, as Emily says, it's just kind of mind boggling that they, uh, the city's going to challenge this. Well, I guess, you know, in your chronology, Rebecca, we've jumped over the fact that <laughs> they the actually did rule. We did get a ruling in our favor. Did, did so let's that, talk I mean, a little bit about that. Yeah. What's, yeah uh, I mean, there's an upside to this conversation, which is, you know, the the reformed compliance board or with, you know, the the reforms and changes in the law did take get involved here and did, you know, point of view of us journalists make a good decision. Yeah, well and, and so this is the first one of the first decisions that have come about under that that re uh, engineered board uh, with more jurisdiction. So to kind of just provide a little bit of history, um the Public Information Act Compliance Board when it was first formed only had jurisdiction on fee disputes of three hundred and fifty dollars or fewer. Or, or less. So that was a really focused um, uh, sandbox in which to to make change. And then in 2021, I believe reforms were passed. I think it was 2021. They didn't go in effect until July of 2022. Um, but the jurisdiction of the board was um, enlarged so that uh, anything the ombudsman could advise on, it was now something that the board could rule upon and kind of create precedent. So uh, the only thing that, that they cannot rule on right now is fee waivers, whether or not a public interest fee waiver um, or indigency fee waiver was valid. So um, with that kind of framework, tell us about, you know, the, the process. I've actually, I've, I don't think I've ever really talked to, to someone on the nitty gritty, like, do they do they bring you in for questioning? Is it that official or, or how does that process work? Uh, no, well, first, and I guess he went through this too, I mean, the, the process is you have to go to the ombudsman to see if this uh, dispute can be resolved and, you know, through mediation. So if the case with people, you know, on my case, email um, with our legal arguments, you know, aided by our pro bono attorney helper, David Plymeyer, who's been a, you know, real help to us as a small shop anyway. So it's a pretty straightforward, um, you know, explain what happened. What did you request? What did they say? What, let's see the email from the, the body, you know, denying you, what's your argument? And, you know, we send this into them and they, you know, go back to uh, the city and, you know, within a, I don't know how long it took, not too long to say, uh, the city's not budging. So you have to actually have to file a formal complaint to the board. Did you go through, you, I guess you went through that step too, Emily, right? 
I did too. And I don't know about you, but I've, while the ombudsman's office has been lovely to deal with, I've never, they don't have a lot of power. So, you know, in this case, the ombudsman said to us that, you know, they did see a potential avenue uh, for these records to be given out, which wasn't necessarily something that we were all considering, but, and and they were going to take this avenue to the city and see, you know, if they could reach an agreement. And the city of course just said no to that. And so our case was eventually marked. I think it was not resolved is whatever the terminology was. The terminology, but um, you know, so yeah. So then the next step is a, you know, sort of a more formal appeal to the, the board. Um, uh, and so we sent that in with a longer, you know, lengthier, fancier argument, but basically the same thing. And, um, you know, came back with a good result, I guess, you know, same with, same with you, right, Emily? Mm-hmm. And, um, and that didn't seem to have any ambiguity in, like, the decision wasn't like, oh, well, on one hand, you know, this person has, has this valid complaint, but over here we see this. It felt very um, unequivocal. It, was that your thought as well? Yeah, yeah. you know, and I, I, I thought it was there was both a kind of a, a legal pushback against the city's arguments and also the somewhat common sense argument that we were all making. It's like it really is just very much like a campaign contribution. So, you know, shouldn't it be public? Shouldn't we treat it as such? And, you know, um, in legal language from a public body down in Annapolis, pretty much the same argument was, was made here. Yeah. So then what is this? um, And I I know right. The status as as of the time of recording is that the city has filed an appeal and you all either jointly or singly or, or in whatever configuration um, have the, have the opportunity to weigh in and sort of file in that appeal as well. But I wanted to talk more about the significance of this, because um, I feel like once if something like this is allowed to stand, what happens? You know, does everyone pop up with a legal defense fund? Um, What does it mean for transparency and um, campaign finance as well? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's really serious. And the transparency question, I mean, you know, here we are in a city that's had, you know, several mayors uh, brought down by corruption charges, uh, mm-hmm. you know, con- confidence in the process and that it's a level playing field. And, you know, people, the insiders can't get special advantage. I mean, that is really a bedrock uh you know, issue for, for the city of Baltimore and for any government and for this, uh, you know, for something like this to stand, it would really, you know, just undermine people's confidence in, in government. Mm-hmm. Right. Which Robert is struggling with. I'm sorry, Emily, go ahead. No, no, it's okay. I mean, with these legal defense funds, I mean, the way Maryland law is set up, it's, it's almost impossible to operate one legally when you are unable to directly or indirectly fundraise. And yet, you know, absent an ethics board opinion, we, we would still have this one operating, I think. And it's, yeah. it's, it's so frustrating that we're all these years later now still in dispute who, who donated to this fund. I mean, Nick yes. Mosby is still in office. He has announced a campaign for reelection and Marilyn Mosby is no yeah. longer in office, but right. you know, we deserve to know as the public and as the media, uh, who, has donated to him, particularly in a campaign year, and 
we we don't know and this fight could go on for quite a while longer you know and we're gambling that the 130 names on the list will be fruitful uh mm -hmm. you know ultimately the fund didn't raise too much money perhaps political donors were less enthused with the mosbys at that point some of them might have donated to the couple's campaigns instead you know the fund maybe the fund just didn't operate for long enough to but it did raise $14,000 from 130 people and we still don't That's know. That's not nothing. Those, yeah. It's not nothing, right? Right, it's not you nothing. Know? You know, some of them were from, you know, at least two were from these so-called controlled donors who had business right. before the city. And one of the, those controlled donors, you know, donated $5,000. I mean, that is right. not you know. I mean, a lot of that fun <laughs> came from one person and we still don't know who that one person right is. right oh people are playing this parlor game on the internet like oh, let's see what was the zip code who could that right. be this <laughs> <laughs> is not how it should work we should just know it and you know a lot of these names will be sort of innocuous probably people who donated publicly that we already can see on campaign contributions you know small amounts so you know is what it is but you know some of these are going to be interesting and um you know we we should know about it well and and also i think with the mosby's just in general there's been some interesting um uh, like the dead grandfather had, had donated to the campaign fund i mean so there's the names on there really are still very uh, they they can tell us a lot i think and the, the timing of this is really too bad. I mean, it, it's going to be delayed, which it will be because of this appeal that the city has decided it to make. Um, so that'll probably push this past the, I'm guessing, past the election or past much of the campaign. Right, so, you would think you know, so. It's a delaying tactic that you know, benefits, uh, you know, Nick Mosby. Right. And incumbents in Baltimore really have the advantage anyway. And so it would be, you know, to have this all sort of come out um, after after the election, it's sort of, it, this is a material, timely, timely piece. Um, are there other things that the, the Board of Ethics, you know, you earlier you had talked about sort of the lack of independence, that the perceived independence of the Board of Ethics. What could change that? I mean, if, if they're answering to the city solicitor's office, does the inspector general get involved in some way to maybe issue a report about the independence of the ethics board? Or how do you, what do you see? Well, she runs it. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, then she's not doing a thing. I'm sorry. Well, I, 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 you're not wrong because she runs it, but she doesn't. So it's, it's, it's an awfully confusing situation. She oversees the board. Um, th there's a staff member while she oversees it, there's a, a law department staff member that's assigned. There's, there's a staff that the inspector general oversees who technically are staffed to the board. So it's all very oh. intertwined and, and just, <laughs> just simply because she would like to, uh, maybe release something doesn't even mean that that seems to happen. So it's, oh, it's an awfully... Okay confusing dynamic of who's really really in charge and, and then you have an ethics board itself too which are like nominated members that have their own opinions on things too and so it's like who yeah i don't know what it would take a, who wins a city... out <laughs> yeah it's pretty funny i don't know what would it take a city council you know uh, uh bill to strengthen the ethics board i guess would uh, you know i don't know how you'd phrase it but 
uh, in a council that's controlled by Nick Mosby. <laughs> well, yeah. It might have an upward path there. Yeah. Might I don't know. Motivation we... there. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how it happens, Emily. I guess we're just at the winds of politics. <laughs> Baltimore's going to Baltimore, as they say. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But, you know, at least there's at least we have this def- this this, uh, you know, compliance board uh, decision that's hardening in the scheme of things. So, you know, uh, good for Annapolis. And we'll, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and I do feel like in transparency, it's all just these baby steps. You know, you sort of feel like I, before we started to record, I was telling Emily that, you know, our big push, you know, as as we look for change to the PIA is to get you know, the the fee waivers under the jurisdiction of the board, uh, because there's so many times where the public interest fee waivers are just kind of, you know, ignored in some ways. Um, and then also, you know, our exemptions are so broad, um, which if there's a culture of transparency, not a big deal. But if there's not, which we kind of are kind of easing into these days, um, yeah. we're already there. Uh, it makes things just much, much more difficult. So, Sounds like this is something that that will be ongoing. I hope for for all of us that uh, the uh, the powers that be will will decide that it's important to inform the public and and have a more transparent um, uh, uh, aspect, especially to money and politics, because that's that's what it where we really run astray. So, thank you both for for coming out today and talking with me about this, and we'll see what happens and and how the appeal goes. Yep. Thank you for having me. I hope people pay attention and the next step is a, is a positive one. We'll come back to give you chapter two, uh, Rebecca. (laughs) Absolutely. That's great. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you. Thanks for listening to five dubs with Rebecca Snyder. Please subscribe and leave us a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts so that others can find us. What do you want to know about local journalism? Email me at rsnyder, S-N-Y-D-E-R, at mddcpress.com. Interested in supporting our podcast and journalism? Please donate to our 501c3 Press Foundation. Find out more and see the full episode list and show notes at www.5-dubs.com.